Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. Today's guest is an author and journalist with 20-plus years working at the highest levels of publishing. His name is Brad Wetzler, and he's written hundreds of articles and essays for top publications, including the New York Times Magazine, Newsweek, GQ, Wired, National Geographic Adventure, Men's Journal, George, and Outside, where he remains a contributing editor. As a freelance writer, Brad has traveled across America and around the world, interviewing people from all walks of life. He's ridden the campaign bus with presidential candidates, broken bread with cult leaders, played polo with tech billionaires in India, and pounded vodka shots with Russian cosmonauts. He's also floated up the Amazon, tailed explorers in Greenland, and surfed with zany fundamentalist Christian surfer missionaries in Indonesia. And he's done a lot more than that, including writing the book, Real Mosquitoes, Don't Eat Meat, This and Other Inquiries About the Oddities of Nature, which answers quirky questions about the natural world. But the main reason why Brad is here on Nothing Off Limits today is because I wanted him to share his personal inspiration behind writing his new upcoming nonfiction book about the art and science of spiritual awakenings. You can get a lot more information about Brad, including his coaching services and his the teaching that he does at bradwetzler.com, which I'll also provide a link in the show notes. Welcome, Brad. Hello. Hello. I'm so glad to have you here. Well, I'm happy to be here, and, and that's really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And I love that we met on Twitter. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so so modern, yeah. Yeah. One of the upsides of social media. Right, today. exactly. Yeah. So let's dive in. I always start these series by asking the guest about their journey towards doing what they they do for a living. So how did you become a writer and an author? Well, so I went to um, to graduate school in, in journalism at Northwestern and uh, um, stumbled, you know, my last day of class, I, I stumbled into an internship at Outside Magazine, which was located in Chicago at the time. And I uh, uh, accepted the internship and, and ended up working my way up uh, the masthead to senior editor. And um, so I just had, I had a lot of experience in editing other people's stories, actually some of the best writers, you know, in the country, um, you know, in, in the field of, of travel and adventure and exploration. And um, so I got really good training that way. I um, ended up um, um, editing John Krakauer's uh, uh, the, the article that uh, was called Into Thin Air that became the book um, oh, wow. Into Thin Air. And, uh, and and so I you know I saw I saw these um, this lifestyle for one thing that these uh, men and women were were leading and, and got a taste of it um, really honed my my you know, storytelling my understanding of story and, and decided to go out on my own shortly after um, the Into Thin Air experience and uh, so yeah I ended up uh, um, you know writing a lot for outside at the time I was you know, traveled a lot. Um, and then and spread out and wrote for other other magazines. That's and, pretty uh, cool. You got yeah. like free trips. I know, <laughs> I know. I really, uh, you know, it's like those days are are kind of over in some ways too. Uh, but it's, it was really, I hit it right, the timing, and, and just got some amazing trips out of it. And uh, yeah, well, it sounds so when, like yeah. it. You were hanging out with uh, tech billionaires and cult leaders. <laughs> right. That sounds really I, eclectic. It, it was, and it was, you know, and being a journalist, you kind of. Uh, you know, there's, there's some sense of curiosity that you need for that. Also, 
you know, a lot puts you in some interesting places. And, you know, you know I, have, yeah, I found myself playing polo in India, you know, with these, uh, with these billionaires. And, you know, like I said, in, in, in Russia with these cosmonauts. What did um, these people partying. think about you? Were they like treating you funky because you were the outsider journalist guy? Or did you feel like you were part of the crew? You know, I think, um, gosh, that's a good question. I, I think they, um, you know, I always kind of tried to have a good time myself with, with uh, these people. And, you know, I made it very clear at the beginning that, that I was a reporter and, uh, you know, that well, everything was, was on the record. And at the same time, um, you know, I think um, I developed a sense of trust and, and with them. And, and it really, I felt like, a, yeah, I felt like just one of them in a way. It just, um, you know, it kind of works better that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't, you don't really, um, you know, you ask questions, you you do have interviews, but um, just kind of being one of them is actually the way to to get um, a lot of great information. Yeah. Um, sounds maybe a bit manipulative, but it's just um, having a good time with them and seeing what happens. Yeah, and I mean, every, happens. Yeah. and everything's on the record, so that includes what you did. <laughs> totally, <laughs> exactly. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So you and I connected because I saw you post something about your upcoming book about spiritual awakening. So I'm curious, as you're doing all these travels, how did you transition into exploring the spiritual realm specifically? Good question. I, I um, when I was um in my about mid 40s, um, I um. I had, went through a difficult period, and uh, a friend of mine um, committed suicide, um, and my mother was dying of cancer, and, uh, you know, the print journalism world was, was kind of evaporating before my eyes, so this, this, this um, career I'd chosen was, um, was kind of on the rocks, and, no, and nothing was really, you know, replacing it at the time, and, and uh, so, you know, I, I, I got weirdly fascinated. I read an article about um, about uh, Jerusalem syndrome, this this sort of thing that happens to people who travel to uh, to the to the Holy Land, to Israel mm-hmm. and Palestine, and they, they you know some people become overnight messiahs. You know, it starts with some hand wringing, washing, and kind of ritualistic activity and some anxiety. And uh, with some people, you know, within a few days, they're having a full out you know psychotic experience and in, in believing that they are you know wow the, uh, the messiah and. Um, some of them dress up in, in uh, biblical garb and and the, yeah and uh, stand on street corners and shout about you know the kingdom of God is arriving and all of this. I think that so happens got, in Los Angeles on the I bet. in Hollywood <laughs> every every Saturday night probably right? <laughs> yeah or during the day too <laughs> right yeah so I got interested in that and then and sort of in the timing with all this that was happening in my life I I just yeah you know, I kind of impulsively bought a ticket to. Uh, to Israel and uh, and showed up to kind of look into this thing and 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 I also knew there was something more underneath it for me but I wasn't even really sure at the time and it was that it was going to turn into something about you know faith and spirituality and and the real meaning of that for me and so um, so yeah so it what I did is I you know I'd been traveling a lot and and had been questing a lot writing about quests and then kind of found myself on my own that had this this kind of turn, this kind of, um, yeah, this, this little spiritual turn to it. And I was just open to what, what, hap- what would how happen. Do, how so. does that work when, as a journalist, you're required to remain neutral and, and somewhat skeptical about things, right? Yeah, no, you're right. And, uh, you know, I think, so how does that work? It, it I think it's really comes down to, for me, the remaining curious and, and being open to what's going to happen. And, and yes, um, I've been, um, you know, since I went to journalism school, I 
I've, I've been you know, very science-oriented and skeptical, and uh, it's important to me to have evidence and to, for things to be proven to me and, mm-hmm. and you know, show me. And, and, um, and yet, at the same time, um, you know, I think when I was a, a young, when I was a kid, I'd, I'd had myself had had a, what I would call, you know, people would call a mystical experience. And, and, uh, and so this thing was kind of inside me, this memory of this time, and, and it felt real, and I also was skeptical about it. Um, and, but so I, so I kind of took that same attitude of, of like, well, let's just see what happens. I'm going to be skeptical, um, but um, I'm what also happened? open open to see what happened. What yeah, happened when like, you were a child? What was the was mystical 15, experience yes. that? Because it sounds like you pushed it down, and then you went into this this field of work that just kind of like was super neutral and skeptical and science based and evidence based, but you still have this thing that happened, and now you're revisiting it as yeah. an older man. So what happened? So when I was um, when I was twelve, I uh, was on a canoe trip, and uh, um, I had I, I nearly drowned. I became our, our canoe tipped over. I became um, snagged on a submerged log for 10 minutes and and um um and was really thought i was going to die it was really a traumatic experience and um god and that night i uh it was it was it was a youth group trip and and i was sort of i was not that enthusiastic about god at that time and and uh and but you know i went on this trip and 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 that night you know sitting by the campfire you know i was terrified from what had happened i was i was bruised and cut on my torso and uh um, and, and sort of, you know, in, in this um, this youth group leader ended up seeing me in this kind of distraught state, and he, he said a prayer. Let's pray for Brad and thank you for his safety. And and this whole kind of dramatic thing. And and uh, that night, I, I did end up, uh, you know, in in the way you hear about, you know, becoming a Christian and and uh, accepting Jesus as my savior. And uh, and that was a period that lasted several years. Um, you felt and, like and, your life had been saved. Yeah, I did, and mm-hmm. I felt like, um, you know, this, uh, you know, that yeah, I'd been saved, and I wanted to be saved, continue to be saved. I, again, sort of this terrified feeling, and, yeah. and that's this, you know, that's a way, the common way that people experience God around the world is sort of as this external person, uh, you know, kind of being this almost like a superhero kind of type, and, mm-hmm. and this is. Um, and this is not the way you know I see things now, but that was how you know it felt at the time. And uh, so I, uh, you know, I, I became a very devoted young Christian and, and really you know read the Bible, took it very seriously, like more seriously than you know anyone I knew at the time. And and yeah. um, and and then when I was about fifteen, um, I was going through a time where I wasn't sleeping very well. There's there were some things happening in my my household, my family, and. Um, and, and I, I woke up one morning or didn't wake up. I was up all night and, uh, I went to the, you know, went into the bathroom to the mirror and, you know, I was this 15 year old man boy with like, you know, a little bit of uh, peach fuzz and, <laughs> and I was skinny and, and, uh, and this image I saw in the mirror was sort of me and not me at the same time. And, uh, and I ended up sort of, you know, talking to this image and asking what was, you know who are you and who am I? And, uh, you know, am I, am I the son of God? And, and, uh, um, you were young kind of, to be having this kind of experience. Yeah, it was. And it was also, um, yeah, it, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at it. And it's, it turns out it's a very common experience. It's a, you know, it's, it was, it's not that different from the kid who kind of, uh, fantasizes his way into, you know, thinking he's Superman or whoever, you know, sure. it was, it's mm-hmm. kind of, 
you know, on one level, it does seem really disturbing and like psychotic. And on another level, it was short lived. And it was um, it was just a, almost a fan. It was almost like hoping, wanting to be that, mm-hmm, I think, is kind mm-hmm. of part of it. And so uh, and, and and so that that was this kind of missed this blending of, of feeling kind of divine. And uh, um, did that continue on? Because then you went on to become a writer. Right. So so no, it didn't. You know, when I went off to college, I did the college thing. I, I dropped you know, I I had an amazing professor at um, the University of Virginia who I really admired and uh, and got into, you know, books and writers and humanism and i dumped jesus big time <laughs> you had a breakup <laughs> yeah well that's what uh, happens in college people you know you break up with right. your high school sweetheart with jesus with you know with not drinking booze because now suddenly that's like the center point <laughs> right and I, I swung the other way i wanted to experience it all i wanted to experience yeah. the world i wanted you know and I, I became fascinated with you know any writer you know then i became fascinated with the beat writers of course and just mm. that experience and it's interesting how close some of their writing is actually to this kind of awakening stuff you talk about, though, now, it, 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 when I see it full circle. But at the time, it was really to live in this world, seeing humans as sort of the center, as our, you know, um, you know our, what we can do and write and paint or whatever is sort of the, is the measure of all things. And I, I, I bought into that big time. And um, so... Um, so yeah, so that that was my college experience, and then and then sort of landing this job, and then going in, you know, to write about the world um, that kind of continued. Mm-hmm. But there was a part of me that was um, that still was. I see it now, kind of um, pulled apart by this this tension between spirituality and and facts and that wow. sort of thing. So let's fast forward to being called to Jerusalem to take a look at. Jerusalem syndrome. So let's start there in your experiences once you got there on assignment. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I arrived um, one morning and, and um, walked, you know, walked into the old city and, uh, you know, I, I was seeing all, I was surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people who were on spiritual pilgrimages and I felt part of that. And I also felt um, separate because I knew I didn't have any faith in anything. So, you know, I was there, um, part, you know, I was walking down the street in a river of humanity of, of people heading off to the Western Wall to pray, you know, Jews off the Western Wall, Muslims were heading up to Al-Aqsa Mosque, um, Christians were heading to, you know, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and all these holy places. And, uh, and I was like, going along with them, but not really believing in anything. And uh, so... Um, Just like you did with the uh, tech billionaires in exactly India. Exactly, right. <laughs> yeah. Then kind of it was jolted a bit. Then I had a, I mean, one of my first mornings there. I uh, I was in a cafe and and actually this this man walked in and he was dressed just like Jesus, except that he weighed probably 150 pounds more than Jesus did. You know, he was a heavy set man. Yeah, fat uh, Jesus. Fat Jesus is what he was. <laughs> That's what I call him in the book. And and uh, he um, he was carrying this black book and he ordered a cappuccino and sat down and was mumbling to himself and you know, on one level, um, was very, you know, probably, you know, traditionally mentally ill, but he was also having some experience that I was fascinated by. And I wanted, I wanted to talk to him and I Mm -hmm. gave him some space for a while. Then I went over and kind of tapped on his shoulder and and he was, you know, dissociated. He was not interested in talking on one level, grumpy on one level, on another level, he probably didn't even know what I was or who I was. And, and that also then became another theme of the book, which is kind of this connection between uh, spirituality and mental illness and, you know, in the way that at what point does, you know, you're in a place like Jerusalem and faith is is everywhere. And then 
there is that diluted sense of faith that also happens there, you know, hmm. that leads to suicide bombings and, you know, leads to wow. people doing really strange things that, you know, and w- what point does faith become, you know, get go off the rails even? And, you know, when you start believing your God and, um, it's amazing. So yeah, so that's a fascinating like stuff, thing. Yeah, I mean, and you actually researched that, right? Like there's stuff that actually happens in the wiring of the brain that causes people to kind of like make the switch. And like you said, kind of be almost like have a dissociation from real life. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the one of the theories about it is it has something over there to do with kind of it happens a lot to um, to former Protestant kind of to people like myself. It happens a lot to and, and uh it also happens to some Jews and Muslims as well, but um, it you know some connection with this the stories that are contained you know around this place the the stories you brought up with the uh, the ideas of um, of a historical ancient Jerusalem, um, but also the energy it, of the the place because I mean. Right. I've never been to Jerusalem, but I've been to Athens, and uh-huh. so you know when I was at the Acropolis, I was like, "Wow, this just like feels powerful." Yeah, no, and, and that then mixed with the mo- the mo- modernity part, the cars, the you know the new buildings. There's kind of a dissonance. And I think this is part. Mm. It's, it's like so. That, yeah, you're right. It's the it is the place, the holy place, and there's a reason I think that that certain places become holy. Um, and then mix in modern stuff with it, and it's kind of too much uh, in some ways. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, I've, I've done a lot of research about well, what makes a place a holy place. And, um, you know, something about, um, you know, the way the landscape or the way the physical feature of the monument um, kind of plays on the stories in our head. And, and uh, you know, the sense of, you know, Rudolf Otto is a philosopher, that, you know, in a, theologian that talked about kind of the awesomeness of certain places and, and mm-hmm. kind of connected it to the awfulness of them. And like this, and I think part of what on some level, what happens is, um, you know, like even in nature, right, in some awesome place, a, a place of extreme beauty, you know, you feel so small, the ego kind of disappears, and suddenly you're, you feel like ultra connected to this place in a way that is almost transcends you know, your normal way of being in a place. So it's like, I think the ego kind of like rub, rubbing up against the, you know, an, an awful place, meaning like you could die there. You know, it's like, that's why people go to the mountains and it's like this Climb. sense of, yeah, what is it, right. Mount, Mount, what, in Everest or yes, somewhere else? Yes, Mount Everest. Yeah, 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 right. I mean, it is, it is putting yourself in this place of awfulness, awesomeness, kind of that, wow. um, that put, takes us to a, a place of connection with the universe. Mm. And we feel so small and so, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixture it's expansive of and of small expansion at the same and, time. and contraction at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So I assume this was happening to Fat Jesus. I think it was. <laughs> I think it was. And uh, uh, so that was so that was Fat Jesus. And we, we didn't end up having any kind of conversation. It was kind of frustrating. And it was like I wanted something from him. And that, that was interesting in itself. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, you're chasing messiahs around. You want them to tell you something, you know, wise Profound, and right, yeah. capable of it. And so... Um, I ended up seeing another um, another uh, Jesus in in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is built on the place where Jesus was crucified and also where he's buried. And wow. and this guy was clearly out of it and was like you know making um, motions with his hands, you know, kind of blessing people and um, and bless. You know, I, I kind of walked over to him. He blessed me, and then you know, but does that make you he, uncomfortable? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess. You know, it's it's a fascinating thing that this. Um, again, we kind of come back to this connection between mental illness and faith, and 
you know, yeah, I guess it did. But it also was just I was sort of a scientist in my in my mind there. I was an observer. And so I, I did see it kind of objectively. And um, so it was he and then he would disappeared. He just ran up the stairs and was gone. And uh, um, so I, I that ended would up, freak me out. Yeah. Well, I ended up calling up the um, this the psychiatrist in uh, in uh, Jerusalem who treats a lot of these cases, um, and he's kind of nicknamed the Messiah Doctor. And uh, <laughs> he uh, I ended up going down to the hospital and interviewing him. And uh, I wasn't able to see any of his patients, but um, we talked at length about it. And, and actually, the the kind of telling part of the interview, um, the funny part was, is we were talking and he was explaining this phenomenon. And he, and he was saying he, he meets people every day who, who kind of feel like they have some kind of wisdom about, about the world. And, and, uh, and he, he was, he's tempted to believe him like any you know, follower of a Messiah. But, sure. you know, um, but we were talking, and, and I was asking him all these questions, and, and I could feel the, the, uh, the tenor of the, of the interview change a bit and, and to where he was kind of interviewing me. And, and then... Then I caught on eventually that he was seeing me as a kind of an early stage uh, Jerusalem syndrome person, you know, a sufferer. And then we so wow. then I finally identified that part that what that that was happening. And he said, "Well, it's a spectrum. It's um on one level, anyone who comes to Jerusalem seeking meaning, seeking answers, is is sort of on this spectrum. And then yeah, then it goes to the other end, which is the psychosis and." Um, and, and that sort of thing. So, wow. It was just and so, was this related back to your childhood experience then? Exactly. Yeah. So then, suddenly, I was back in in, in this this childhood experience that I had, you know, grown to laugh about. Right when I became a journalist, I'd, yeah. I, you know, as a kid, it was serious stuff, and then I left it, and then as a you know twenties and thirties, it was it was kind of a com- comedic thing. You know, was I, like, I was I was a childhood Jesus, you know, and. Um, and I was laughing and minimized it, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then now then I suddenly it's see. like it's not going to let you go, Brad. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> which is, um, which is an interest. Yeah, it's yeah. It became part of the, a big theme of this book too. Is that you know I think sometimes we get almost like downloaded um, information and on almost a spiritual psychic level when we're kids. It sounds woo woo here, but it's like I think you know the message I started to pick up here later in life was that. I was meant to be a spiritual person and that I had kind of left that all behind. And no, I couldn't be the spiritual person I had been when I was a kid. I could not believe in this external Jesus Christ, this, this being and, and follow all the rules of the Nicene Creed set yeah. up by the church, all of that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and the more I read about the church and the early founding, the more I saw that a lot of the essential teachings of Jesus had been left out anyway. So no, I couldn't be that person, but, I, then I started to realize I needed to return to some sense of the sacred for me, and it was um, I had to find something like that was that worked like that for me because I was meant to be that in, in a way. And so, did this Messiah doctor help you in some way to reshape your view of spirituality, or did he just kind of tee it off? Like he he kind of brought this whole childhood experience back into your sphere, and then you were kind of forced to take a second look at your spiritual life. Yeah, it was more of a tee off. It was more of, of just kind of um, confirming that um, that I I was on a path that you know I was on the first steps of a path that was going to maybe take me somewhere. Um, so yeah, so it was not a he didn't like to have, do have I didn't go through a big shift with talking with him. It just more 
you know, kind of confirmed that this was interesting stuff and that there was something, even he, that he was a scientist and he, and there was room in his head. He was a Jew, a practicing Jew. Mm-hmm. And there was room in his head for spirituality, even as he was treating this disease in people. So, yeah, so that was, um, that was an important time. And, and, and so, yeah, so I ended up, you know, walking in Jesus' footsteps over there, everywhere I could go uh, where Jesus went, and, and also exploring the, the history of the Messiah myth, you know, what, what led to, you know, the, and this whole idea that, of, of, like, wanting a Savior outside yourself. That kind of became one of the central questions, too, is, like, why are we so obsessed with finding answers outside ourselves? Yeah. And, I, and well, I've done that going, my whole life, yeah. You were going through that time where you mentioned earlier when you took this trip, you were dealing with the death of your friend, um, with your mom's health issues. Uh, you know, there's just a lot going on. So did you tie that back in and be like, is this why I'm starting to now seek something outside of myself? Yeah, I think so. And I think what, the other part of that is that I had, um, yeah, I'd, be, I'd gotten on a, a path of, um, of, of, you know, I, I was experiencing some depression in those times, and, and I'd started to take medication for it. And I, I got hooked up with the wrong doctor who, who believes so wholeheartedly in medication. And, um, and I ended, when, when something didn't work, he threw something else at me, and then something else. And so I was like, and I kept taking it. And I, uh, I got to interject and just be like, I hate that. I know. I am not I a really, fan of meds for no. depression, but anyway, go on. No, no, no. I agree. I, you know, and, and so what? It, this trip also then coincided with this time where, you know, I was feeling kind of separated from my own soul, and so, and I saw with the death of my friend, who, who's, we had a conversation you know, about a month before he died, and, and he said, you know, his his spirit um, was gone from this medication, so why not kill his own body and. And at that time, I was pretty friggin' disconnected from myself, and I didn't really listen to him. I didn't really see the the, the importance of what he was telling me, and didn't even give him any good advice. And you know, if anything, I gave him bad advice. And then a month later, I was sitting next to his body on the floor, and it was just like, oh God, that's um, really yeah. scary that a medication could numb you out so hardcore that you just get disconnected from even knowing who you are. Like it's exactly. it goes back to that you know dissociation that we talked about. Yeah, exactly, and so. So, so I, that that became a mission to get off these meds, and which I did, um, you know. So, starting with with this trip, and um, so yeah. So you so went was, off the meds while you were in Jerusalem. Well, so I started. Ta- I, I was smart enough that you know, yeah. Part you of me wanted to rebel meaning. and just like stop, and I, yeah. I knew that that was going to be a dead end too. So I, I I started tapering off, and then and then it was something that continued. It took a couple of years to get off everything. So God, yeah. So tell us about. While you're on this spiritual quest, you're doing your assignment, but now things are shifting towards you personally. Is this what caused you to want to write this book? Yeah. So when I was over there, I, I paid for this trip. By, um, I did some articles, some travel articles for the New York Times and Newsweek, and they were pretty traditional travel articles. And, um, and so, yeah, so as I'm over there, you know, I'm just starting to ask you know, these questions and also like finding myself in these holy places with people who are praying and like... And I, and I would try to pray, but then I didn't know what to pray to. I didn't know who to pray to. I, mean, I, I don't. I didn't believe in any external God. I didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And and so you know, I was like, I would be at the pew and be praying next to an old woman from you know the Netherlands, and she's just so 
so um, engrossed in her prayer, and I'd try it, and I'd leave frustrated, and <laughs> and so um, I know that feeling, yeah, yeah, because you know religion, religions give you that construct of like who you're supposed to pray to, and what you're supposed to pray about, and what you're supposed to ask for forgiveness for, right. and all those rules. But if you're just generally spiritual, yeah, who do you direct your thoughts to? Yeah, and I think since that time, you know, and and, and part of this journey that I went over there was sort of a, a setting up of, of what would happen later. It's funny. Um, when I was uh, working for um, uh, on a piece for the New York Times Magazine, I, I went to Hawaii and interviewed this man who was a uh, an explorer who um, had done some major exploring in South America and discovered, um, rediscovered lost cities of, of uh, pre-Incan people. And he ended up um, founding a religion when he came back, and it, tur- it turned into a cult, basically. He became a cult leader, mm. but he was so brilliant and fascinating, and just I could sit and listen to him for a long time. And, and one of the things he talked about was you know, he got lost once in the jungle for days, and um, I mean, just for day, and just was feeling, I mean, thought he was going to die. And, uh, and they were using machetes, and this was the kind of jungle where you go, you know. Damn. You, yeah, you, you go, you know. Are hammering away with your machetes. You have this teal team of people helping you, and and you know about. As soon Why as you, are you there to no, begin with? Was, no, no, no. I mean this guy. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I know. So he he was convinced. You know, he had these theories about you know this lost city of gold. Lost, you know, it's El Dorado. He believed they were. It was in the mountains of of um, northern Peru. He was obsessed with it, and um, you know, same idea. You know, these quests, and people mm. get it hooked on these external quests, and wow. And so, yeah, so he was there, and, you know, and as soon as you, you, he would machete his way in, you know, the forest would kind of close up behind him. It grew so fast. And, Damn. I can well, barely anyway, go glamping. I can I know, barely right? go glamping. <laughs> <laughs> well, he remembered um, um, his, hearing his, his machete hit something, hit a rock or something, and he said he remembered the sound. It just echoed throughout the jungle, and then he started to, you know, to clear away this more and more and he and what was there? He found um, an Incan road. There was a road there, and um, and he told this long story. And he was a big drinker, and he just was a rock on tour. And, and sort of like half of what came out of his mouth you could believe, and half you couldn't. But this story <laughs> was so compelling. And and so his his machete hits this rock, and suddenly he's he has an Incan road. And like and he you know, he looked at me and he's like, it's like one of the best lessons I learned in my life was that you know. You find a road. If you get on a road, it goes somewhere. And, I, and that that word didn't that that lesson didn't really mean that much to me at the time. It sounds kind of silly in a way. Um, you know, find get on a simple. road and it goes somewhere. And then, but now it makes perfect sense. It's like you you do have to kind of find a path to um to get somewhere. And and that's how I see this this trip to the Holy Land. And and you know, it put me on a path that was tangible. Before that, I was in the jungle and. And so, you know, I didn't know where the path was going to go, and it's gone to some funky places. And I, it didn't become a Christian like, you know, I kind of half of me hoped I would. But it let, it sent me somewhere and allowed me to kind of focus my energies back on this spiritual kind of realm. So, yeah, yeah. that was an interesting story that, wow. that I remembered when I was over there. So, so, yeah, so the trip kind of jolted me and put me on a path to then, you know, when I returned was sort of when the real kind of work began. And, and then I became fascinated to write this book and tell this story because – you know, the things that I've, you know, have, have, have been on my own path, um, feel like they're, they might, could be useful to someone else. So yeah, it's not, you know, that, that part of it, your journey, your pain, whatever it is you've been through, 
it's kind of self-absorbed until you can figure out a way to share it in a way that someone else could learn from. And, wow. Yeah, and also not shove it down their throats either, though, you know. To kind right, of, just kind of ponder it and be yeah. like, you know, you make the decision for yourself. You read this, read the research, read my ponderings, and then, you know, make your own determination. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. That's so cool. So you and I were talking offline, and there was a lot of talk about like modern psychiatry, which we may have already covered because mm-hmm. of what we talked about with the meds. But uh, it, it is the art and science of spiritual awakening. So what else is in the book that you cover that might be of interest to the listeners? Well, I, I guess I, I became fascinated then as, as this kind of spiritual quest, trying to conceive of a spirituality you know, it did lead me to uh, some, some kind of brain science studying, and and um, you know, I, I began to see that um, that spiritual experience and and, and uh, you know, this sort of like thinking a thought, you know, deciding you want to change, deciding you want to bring some sense of the sacred into you is one thing, but but having it be real is something else, and and I, I started to learn that it involved. Um, you know, brain science involved actually kind of rewiring your brain. And so I, um, because what really changes us from everything I started to read about was, um, is not just like making a decision to believe again. This is, you know, it's actually doing things on a consistent basis to, to rewire the brain in a way to, um, to be able to experience this stuff. And so, you know, yes, it starts to get really murky kind of like, was it just brain science? Is it, where does spirituality come in? And, and, you know, so I started to do things more ritualistically. I started, you know, um, I, I started to do some some uh, meditating, of course, and then also this sort of um, kind of what I, what I call I don't know a better word for it is like spirit writing. It's like where I consult my my larger self, whether you know some mm-hmm. sense of of my greater self, my spirit, my you know maybe it's God, maybe it's the universe. Um, but it's kind of just downloading this information, this sort of um, what you're what, getting at, what I really think about my, yeah, my reaccessing world. your yeah. true self, which right, had exactly. been taken away from you with meds and all of that, yeah, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just life in general. I think we all go through cycles where we kind of disconnect, perhaps, yeah. from that side of ourselves because we're all kind of. I mean, I believe we're all spiritual beings at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody no, I, out yeah. there listening would agree, but so how has then this daily ritual and your practices and these morning pages or spirit pages, right. you know, like the the law of attraction? What is that? The secret. The secret is to do your morning pages. Right. How has that changed from where you were before you went on this trip to where you are today? Well, I think it. You know, it has kind of since rewired my brain and, and it has um you know be accessing this kind of material this kind these kinds of deeper thoughts you know once doesn't do much but doing it every day you start to kind of open up a channel to to access this more and um uh, I, I really got i got into uh, chanting when i was young i was into gregorian chant a lot now i've gotten into hindi sanskrit you know chanting mm, and, and listening to krishna das and other chanters and um, and so, and that, and then I did research into that, and that rewires the brain. Chanting actually, you know, they, they, there were some 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 monks who they took away their chanting privileges, and they became depressed and sick. That's interesting. And they gave them back to them, and they became well again. And so, and so, did you become well also? Is I your did. depression so, gone? Yeah, and I started doing, um, you know, physical activity much more. So I became a, a devoted practitioner of yoga, which you know is a cliche, but. 
I started Nowadays to change my body. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I realized that even this um, idea of, you know, like really getting abs for the first time since I was a teenager <laughs> and, and that sense of solidness. And, yeah. you know, then, then I also learned, you know, and, and as funny as that is, it's totally fucking funny. But it's like, um, you know, but then there's this idea that, you know, we have a, a second brain that's in our gut and it's um, it's called the celiac um, um, plexus or the solar plexus. And it's a big collection of nerves in our in our gut that um, acts and regulates our body in a major way. And so, um, you know, and there's now science about how having a, a, a healthy, strong core actually helps you in many ways, like with your will, with your you know, your emotional health. And so, wow, yeah, so my awesome. body started to change my brain. I could feel it changing. Um, you know, this is not like la la land, ha- total happy ending. It's not like all your problems go away. It's a, uh, it's complicated, but it's, a, uh, you know, going from being, you know, desiring to be on all these meds to then being lost on all these meds to then, you know, trying to piece together a way forward. It's like, um, it's, it really is night and day. And, um, yeah. So a combination of body, mind, and, and really an understanding, you know, that our brain, our, our you know, our, our heads, our thinking, are, there's actually, they say, you know, the old wisdom people say there's three ways of knowing, and it's in the, the brain, the heart, and the body. And kind of letting go of that heady person I was as a journalist, is it, where mm-hmm. everything had to be proven to me, yeah. to kind of like feeling it in my body and feeling it in my heart and... Uh, you know, and then we we could keep talking, but then I started I to really that. research the heart, right? And there's, and we, yeah, there's a whole lot of information about the heart and what that word means. Um, I used to think it meant emotion, and kind of was like how we are, we get taught that, and as these waves of emotion, but it's really not. It's kind of underneath the emotion. It's the, um, it's kind of near the solar plexus place that. It's kind of your sense of well-being and your sense of connection with others. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's so when people say that when you wear your heart on your sleeve and kind of look at it in a negative way, that's actually not. That's actually pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, yeah, but but also seeing that it's not just that those fleeting emotions. It's not the anger and the and, and the love. It's not all of that. It's kind of a more subtle thing that's that's underneath all of that. It kind of maybe gives rise to that stuff, but those. Those fleeting emotions aren't the heart. It's kind of, yeah, and that takes like these this kind of wisdom writing, this kind of real contemplation to get underneath there, you know. So wow, this is already impacting me. I'm thinking, yes, I do think with my heart, you know, right. like that kind of stuff. What kind of impact do you hope to have on the readers of your book? Is it that kind of reaction that I'm having, where I'm like, yes, I want to explore this more, or or what? Yeah, I, I think I hope it's just an invitation for people to. Um, to go on their own journeys to kind of, you know, if they had a spiritual, maybe they're, maybe they were former Christians or former Jews or whatever. And, and they did feel a sense of sacredness when they were young that they have put aside um, that maybe hopefully it's an invitation for them to find their own way to reconnect with, with that part of them. And that maybe their, their life path needs to, you know, to, to find some deeper sense of meaning. We all, you know, we get into our jobs and our kids and whatever happening. And, and we get pulled out of that sacred place. And so, yeah, that's why I, I guess that's the basic thing I hope it does. And I hope that, um, and I do hope they find their own own way. You know, I ended up, um, you know, like this Jesus journey is sort of, you know, some Christians will be offended by this, but it was kind of the right tool at the right time. And yeah. I didn't end up being a Christian again, but it led me back to some sense of 
a sacred place. And so um, I hope that... Do you find that it's difficult to balance, as you said, a lot of people, you know, we have our jobs, we have our families, um, things happen. This is modern day life. Do you find that you still struggle to balance that with now your new spiritual practices that you've employed? Yeah, I, I do. Um, in fact, I just um, I, I just came out of um, you know the flu and and, uh, and pneumonia, and and there were some times there where um, it was a really kind of a bad case of this stuff, and and I I could not feel connected, you know, as much as I'd hoped that I'd been I was strong enough now, you know, kind of built my spiritual practice enough to to have that really guide me through there, you know, um, it was, um, I was, it failed me in a way. And, and, but I also though see now as an, as I'm, I'm well now, you know, sort of, um, you know, this idea, I just the last weekend, I came across this quote just randomly, but it was from an, it's from an Ojibwe um, Native American song. And it's, it's, I think the quote, I'm not going to get it accurate right now, but it's like, sometimes, um, I take to pitying myself, and then, and then I see that the whole time, um, you know, I've been flying like a bird across the amazing blue sky or so, something like that. And, mm. and so it's like, um, it's this sense that actually as sick as I was and as much as I felt like I was abandoned, uh, again, um, I, 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 looking back I, there was something there that was guiding me through it. In fact, I know, you know, I, I, I engaged during that time with a lot of this listening to the chanting and a lot of listening to some spiritual teachers I like, and, and it did get me through it, you know? It's so it's, um, yeah. There can be beauty in the struggle. Right? Exactly. Well, you know what? That's the other quote that came up for me was, um, there's a great line by, um, in a poem by Pablo Neruda, um, and it's actually something I think about a lot now with all that's happening with, with the politics and how mm. people get so obsessed with um, all these problems, and they're real. They are real. But they're also, like, um, the beauty is around us, and... Uh, and so it's like this This line is like, um, you can cut all the flowers, but you cannot stop the spring. Hmm. And it just um, is such a beautiful line to me. It's like, um, you know, you have any, you know, whoever's in charge, whatever, it can cut all the friggin' flowers in the world. It can make life miserable and their, their spring is going to happen. And it's underneath there. And, you know, these marches is, that are happening now and the and this revitalization of kind of the this political movement, whatever you're thinking is, it's beautiful to see that, you know, that this force is underneath there that is going to try to, you know, balance things out again. So, yeah. We hope. Yeah, we got right. <laughs> so what's next for you? Um, now that you've entered into this new phase of spirituality or reconnected with it, I should say, mm-hmm. are you going to stop writing the, the neutral journalistic articles about travel and exploration? Or are you going to continue to write more books about spirituality? What's What do you hope for in your future? Well, I feel a bit like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on a path that's un, unavoidable to, uh, so I, no, I feel like um, that that old way of, of doing things is um, is is yeah I I feel like I'm 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 hooked on this I am um, I'm on a path now that I can't sort of veer from and and you know I think there's a lot of ways to see it a lot of uh, so I do have an idea for a next book that is um, um, a bit more of a how-to this this first one is 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 pretty memoir-esque and and I do want to uh, do one that's not not a total how-to book but a Kind of a um, a guide to uh, using travel, to using um, various forms of practice um, to make your life better and, mm. and be more sacred. And um, so that's, that's awesome. a, something else. I also, uh, interestingly enough, I've been thinking about 
launching a podcast of um of interviewing you know people on this topic oh, you know, yeah. i want to be the journalist of you know i want to ask people you know so i have my own ideas of spiritual awakening what 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 do you think and what are the what's the science what is you know eckhart Tolle, whatever whoever you know mm-hmm. what tell me about your awakening and why Deepak. do you say it's real Deepak, yeah mm-hmm. wow you know, so that'd be I, awesome I, do it yeah i know so I want to do that, and then, yeah. It's a lot of, course, of work, though, Brad. Yeah, I imagine I want to talk to you more <laughs> about that. You'll have to hire that. an editor. I know, yeah. Because yeah. I do it myself, and I'm I'm drowning. But anyway, yeah. I'm no, having a spiritual you. experience, though. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Through the struggle. Yeah, um, and I don't know what's next. I do know that service is some part of practice that I haven't really embodied um, enough yet, and I think it's some some service in some way is, is in line. You know, I'm actually, one of the things I'm – I'm signed up to do um, yoga teacher training, and if you'd known Aww. me ten years ago, um, you know, grumpy, frump, you know, journalist, <laughs> green eye shade wearing journalist, and in that two weeks, I'm going to be in a room full of yogis becoming a yoga teacher. So that's uh, awesome. Who knows what's next? Yeah, I love it. I love your transformation. I know it's inspiring and cool, and I think you're cool in general. And I'm so glad oh, to have connected with you. How are people going to be able to pick up your book? Is it going to be on Amazon or what? Well, it's um, right now I'm, I'm finishing it up and um, my agent's waiting for this latest um, version of it. And so the publication details will have to come forward, but it's, it's almost done and, and I'm pretty confident it'll be a traditional publisher. And so, yeah, so I've got that uh, ahead of me still, but That's awesome. book's uh, wrapping up now. Okay. Well, for any updates, everybody out there listening, check out Brad's website, bradwetzler.com or connect with him on Twitter. Where else are you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram. Um, any Facebook? Oh, Facebook, yeah, Facebook for sure. Um, so please, yes, yeah, so, so, connect with me any way that I'm, I'm out there in a lot of different ways. And I'm okay. always looking for um, for a conversation about this stuff. I really am passionate about it. So yeah, I love it's awesome. It. And if I ever get my buns out to Colorado, I'm going to come in and bug you. I would like that. Yeah, because I, I, I've had my own uh, dissociation from yoga and the yoga community and all of it. And so maybe you will inspire me to get back into it. Let's do it. I'd <laughs> like that. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. And, um, and you're awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And I look forward to talking again. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.